So what was your first interest? In cars, I, I, th I think that when I got my driving license, I started driving and all my other friends did, and you start driving quicker and quicker, and then far too quick for the roads. I eventually bought myself a Morris Minor, and I started tweaking this, and I entered for a couple of sprints, um, and um, then, then I had a supercharged Morris Minor, which went even quicker. Um, I mean, it sounds crazy now, but it was just a bit faster than an MGA, and nearly as fast as a TR2. When you look back, it's ridiculous, but there you are. And then I, I realised I would never be a racing driver, although I was keen, and I became more and more into the technical aspect of it. Now, where was this? This, this was in, in South Africa, in Cape Town in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I used to go to all the race meetings. Um, I raced once or twice. Uh, as I said, I did some sprints, hill climbs. I just became more and more interested in the cars. And, of course, we had the Grand Prix in uh, 59 and 60, and um, I met Sterling Moss, and I said to him, I would love to come to, over to England and work on a Formula One team. How old were you at that point? Uh, so that, I must have been about 21, 22. And he said, I'll get you a job at BRP. And he gave me a letter f for BRP, and I sort of came over to England, charged up to Highgate. And they said, unfortunately, all the vacancies have been taken. So I was most disappointed. Uh, so um, I then went off to Bomakalola, who were in Hounslow, um, saw Reg Parnell, and he said, sorry, we haven't got any vacancies. Oh, no. So I looked through Autosport, and I found an advert. Someone wanted a racing mechanic. Um, it was Ian Raby, who had the Empire Racing Team, yep. looking after a couple of Formula Juniors. Mm. I started with him and I realised I didn't know a single thing about a racing car. Whoops. <laughs> in red, we ended up in Monte Carlo and he in gave... 60? Uh, this, this was beginning of 61. Okay. And he gave me the sack because I was no good. Oh. So I thought, hang on, I've got to be better than this. So I made inquiries. I said, where does everybody drink? And they said, the tip-top bar. Yeah. So um, I wandered over to the tip top bar that day, after the Grand Prix and I said, I'm looking for a job. I'm a very good mechanic. <laughs> I've had a lot of experience. And I met Jim Andrew White, who was the chief mechanic of Lotus. And he said, yeah, well, we are short of one person, but we're going to the Dutch Grand Prix next week, which was rather strange because in 61, it was just one week away. Right. And they weren't coming back to England. The week after the Dutch Grand Prix, our arrived at, um, at Cheshunt and I said, is Jim Enderwhite here? And he came out and his words were, it's you, is it? <laughs> he said, well, we'll put you on a month's trial. I came, you know, and I, 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 was, I was completely sort of out of my depth. But fortunately, David Lazenby, who eventually ran the Indy team, mm. took me under his wing and he, he realised I was battling and he helped me in every way. He went out of his way to help me. That was yeah. nice. And uh, I, I must say this, out of all the racer mechanics I have ever met, he is by far the best racer mechanic, as I would still think, in the world. <laughs> he is incredible with a <laughs> lot of imagination. Right. <laughs> and um, the first race we went to was Spa in 61. Mm. The transporter broke down on the way there. Right. Um, what happened was... The original fuel tank uh, of the uh, T 
TK Bedford was divided into two. So half of it was diesel. Right. And half of it was racing fuel. Right. But of course they forgot to move the pickup. So when it went up the hill, up oh, over no. hill, the pickup <laughs> was the wrong place. Yeah. And of course, you know, it died and there was no way it could get it started. Yeah. So we missed first practice. And when I when I arrived at spot I mean I just couldn't believe it. I was standing where I'd seen photographs. It was incredible. Yeah. And that's basically how I started Lotus. So your first meeting, race meeting with the team, was straight in at Formula One. Yes. At Spa. At Spa. What what there was how it actually worked was that there were two mechanics on each car and we had a spare. Right. Um, and Dick Scamble, who eventually was involved with Cosworth, and Ted Woodley looked after Innes Island's car. And Innes was the number one driver. Yeah. And David Lazenby looked after Jim Clark's car, but they were short of a mechanic there. So right. I assisted David Lazenby looking after Jim's Clark, which, which were the Lotus 21s right. in their day. And you were sort of doing general stuff. You weren't, not like today, you're specialised there was everything, everything. everything you had to do absolutely yeah. everything on the car you had to build the cars if you were at the circuit and there was no help you had engine work to do you had to do the gearboxes if you went to a race meeting on your own or, or with one or two others yeah. you had all the paperwork to do the carnets really you had um, al- although the hotels were booked you had an expenses mm. Uh, you had your own expenses, which I know sounds crazy. That it was two pound fifty a day, which we had to live <laughs> off. Um, but you had the company expenses, yeah. um, and uh, you know you had to pay that. Uh, uh, so th- that's how it worked. So there have been four of you for two cars, or there, any more? There was Jim Enderwright, who was chief mechanic in '61. Right. '62 changed a bit. Uh, there, I actually looked after Trevor Taylor's car. Right. And David Lazenby, virtually on his own, looked after Jim Clark's car. Did he? Um, and Dick Scamble, who was second in command to right. Jim Enderwhite, sort of oversaw everything. Right. Uh, and then there was a gearbox mechanic, because we, we were always in gearbox problems with, with the cars. We had, the, we had the ZF gearboxes. Right, yeah. They were actually four-speed boxes made into five-speed. And to get the fifth gear in, they had to machine all the gears thinner right. to put them in. Yeah. Part of the gearbox, that the main gear was was um, internal splined and fitted over another spline. Right. And they kept on moving off. So, I mean, there were, there were things like Loctite in those no, days. Not. And what they did, they welded them together. But, of course, then they had to machine the wells off otherwise it wouldn't have fit in so I mean there was virtually nothing holding them and in, in 1963 when Jim Clark lost the um, Monaco Grand Prix is which what happened one of these wells broke really and it jammed in two gears at once right whilst, whilst in the lead even worse even worse exactly um, in 61 um, there were still some two and a half litre cars left over from 1960 right and we had two Lotus 18s, and there was a an intercontinental, as it was called, an intercontinental meeting right. at Silverstone. And it was virtually the first time I went to a Grand Prix. I'd only been there a couple of months looking after a car on my own. Right. Lotus had these queer boxes, which everybody yep. has heard of. Yep. And they were, I mean, even, even nowadays, they, they're quite difficult to, to actually get into gear and everything yeah, else. Yeah. And um, I was looking after Jimmy Clark's car. Mm. Jim Enderwhite said, well, take the car, 
and put it on the grid. So I got in the car, and this was quite a complicated gear change. Yeah. Uh, what what it had was a neutral, and then it was forward for first gear. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you pulled it back, it went into second, third, fourth, and fifth. Uh, but but you could only select neutral from second gear. Right. Going forward. In other words, when you came from first, you went right through. That was the principle, but they never worked out like that. <laughs> and this was the first single-seater I'd, I'd ever driven. And I sort of gingerly oh, drove no, this exactly. car onto the grid. But what we used to do, when we went to the Monaco Grand Prix, we used to work outside at a place called Esla-Sumer, right. which was about seven miles out of Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. And we used to drive the cars on the lower Corniche all the way into Monte Carlo. So there were th three Formula Fantastic. 1 cars driving maybe 70, 80 miles an hour yeah. on the main roads going into Monte Carlo and back again. Brilliant. And that, that was incredible. And then, of course, at Spa, we, we worked at a place called Stavolo, which I think is still part of the Grand Prix. There's one That's of the right. And we used, I mean, it was, used to be quite a long circuit in mm. those days. Yes. And we used to drive around one way on, on to, uh, up to the pits, right. and then when we went back to Stavelot, we drove the other way, so we always did a full circuit. Yeah. I think it was 1963, it absolutely teamed out. Right. Chapman and Jimmy and Trevor disappeared off, mm. and we were going to bring the cars back, and it rained so hard, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, you could not see your hand in front of your face. Right. Like it does at Spa. And like it does at Spa, as you say. At any rate, the pair of us actually pulled off did it? And stopped. Yeah. And it took, you know what the storms are like. Yeah, of course. They're half now, they're gone. Absolutely. And uh, we waited for the storm to abate. And then we drove the cars on. Obviously, they had electric starters, onboard yeah. starters in those days. And Chapman was standing in the middle of the road, waving his arms. He said, where the bloody hell have you been? We, and I said, well, we, we couldn't drive. You couldn't see. Yeah. He said, that is the last time a, a mechanic will ever drive a Formula One car. Of course, the next morning we were back in the cars again to take them back. Drive around, and then when we went round the other part of the circuit, which was supposed to be a straight, mm. but actually it's a, um, a series of very, very fast bends and very bumpy. Mm. Which, which was actually nice about the cars. When you get a sort of ninety, hundred miles an hour, all the exhaust noise gets left behind, and you can hear all the timing chains rattling, yeah. and all the valve gear behind you. <laughs> and the car was sort of jumping from one side of the circuit down. I thought, bloody hell, this is dangerous. And I said to Jimmy, I said, you know, just come round. I, I, I said, something wrong with the car. It's all over the place. He said, no, that's normal. They all like. He said, so bumpy like that. It's normal. Don't worry about it. Just <laughs> jump it. Oh, can you imagine it? <laughs> And he was driving it much faster than that. Driving much faster than that. And he was probably, still probably getting up. They probably did get it on for 160 down there. Yeah. I remember going to Poe in uh, 1962. We had Lotus 24 with a V8 engine, and we were short of an engine for our second 24, but we had an entry. Why was that? Because Climax couldn't get the well. Well, they just weren't available. At, you know, at the beginning of the season. Right. So we decided to put a, um, a four-cylinder engine into a 24. Mm -hmm. And we had two days and two nights to do it, virtually. So um, Chapman got us all together and he said, do you think we can do it? And of course, the gauntlet was thrown down. We said yes. <laughs> 
So the first night, now we worked all day, that's right, and at about two in the morning, Jabendra White said, you actually need some sleep. When you get into the transporter, have, have three hours sleep, mm. and I'll get you up again, which he did. Mm. So he worked all the next day, and right through the next night. So now we worked three days and two nights without sleep, virtually except for a couple of hours. And the big transporter was booked on a ferry, and that couldn't. No, you couldn't miss it. We 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 had we almost was we couldn't miss that. No. Mm. So they got a couple of the lads from Lotus Components to help me finish the car off. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, it was done, but nearly done. Hadn't turned the wheel. No. The bodywork. They were still busy fitting the bodywork. And um, we had a little transporter called PMT. The refresh was PMT 903, which was a, um, a Thames trader, which had been lengthened, right. um, and, and a Zephyr engine put in it. And right. It was a quick device. You could tow a car, I mean, in those days, like an over eight, with a car in the back, yeah. over 80 miles an hour. And what we have towed is with a car in the back and a trailer also at 80 miles an hour. Wow. And this is going back to, to the 60s. Yeah. And Trappist said, right, all you've got to do now is put the car in the trailer, is drive down to Dover. I said, you have got to be mad. I said, how do you expect me to drive down? Yeah. To the oh, no, no, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Come out to my office. So I went up to his office. I said, sit down there. And he pulled out the chair. He said, put your feet on there. And he poured me a scotch, which was two inches of scotch in a glass. He said, drink that. You'll, you'll feel better. Oh. So I drank half of this. He said, how do you feel? I said, I feel worse. I said, I'll never <laughs> drive down there. So he picked up the phone, phoned Pete Arundel. Peter arrived, he, he, he lived not so far away, I, I think probably three or four miles away. He came and he said, drive Cedric and this car mm -hmm. down to Dover, unload the car, push it on the deck, on the normal car deck, yeah, and bring yeah. the transporter back. Anyway, we were going down the road and some of the, of the mechanics from Lotus Components were still working right. on the transporter, fit, fitting the bodywork as we were driving down the road. Right. Jumped off the end of the road. By this time, I'd fallen asleep. And we were driving down Walthamstow High Street. Right. Five o'clock in the afternoon on the wrong side of the road. Ooh. Doing 60 miles an hour. Can you imagine it? And we, I woke up and we came, we're coming to a pedestrian crossing. There was an old lady walking oh, across the road. Make it. And she put up her hand to stop <laughs> the transporter. And her hand hit the windscreen. And um, Peter told us to F off, which he shouldn't have done, no, but there quite. you go. By that time, I'd fallen asleep again. We woke up in Dover and uh, loaded the car in the transport, uh, off the transporter mm. onto the car deck mm. and stepped all the way across, and our big transport was the other side. Picked it up. Picked it up. <laughs> Fantastic. In 63, we went to Silverson for the International Trophy, and we had a dreadful practice session we just couldn't get the cars right right uh we really battled and battled and we were going slower and slower right and we well we we went back to to the garage we were working at, which wasn't at the circuit mm. and we did an all-nighter with bump steer checks corner weights of course we didn't have the sophisticated equipment they have now no, of course it took forever mm. um if you wanted to get the car on the scales you actually had to push it off and push it back on every time. When you did bump steer checks, there was no equipment. No, of course just, not. Just, just by measure, with virtually 
bits of string and bits yeah. of aluminium bar. Yeah. And every time you moved it, you had to reset all this. Sure. And then we we had the second practice on the I don't know if it was the Saturday or or Friday. Right. And it was equally as bad. And we went back to the garage, and everybody was a bit despondent, of course. And Tapper said, "Tell you what, we've got to do." It's just put all the cars back the way it was. And we'd finished early. We must have finished about 10 o'clock. And we struggled oh, back to, to the Brave Old Oak. We got into the bar. <laughs> and we stayed into the bar until 6 in the morning. Really? So we did I don't blame you. one all-nighter on the cars and one all-nighter all in, in the pub. And, of course, what happened, we actually won. J- Jimmy Clark won. And what the problem was... I discovered years later there was one corner they couldn't get right. Right. And they concentrated so hard trying to set the car up for this one corner mm. they were sacrificing the Everything other corners. Else. Yeah. And when we, we should have said, well, forget about that one, Ben. And do the other. And concentrate the others. And that's what would happen in the end because we put the cars back the way they were. So now when did you finish with Lotus? I, I finished at the British Grand Prix in 64. And you only... So in those three... Four years? Yeah, I worked on Formula One only. Formula uh, One only? Yeah, except we helped build the Indy cars, of course. Right. Uh, For all, uh, from 62? Uh, 63. Right. 63 and 64. Right. We built the Indy cars. I mean, it was You didn't go to Indy? Well, what happened was we actually had a choice of what you wanted to do. We were asked what we would like to do. Mm-hmm. And we could have either done Formula One or done Indianapolis and a few of the other meetings. I didn't really fancy being stuck in America for six or eight weeks at a time and I said I, and I said I don't fancy that I yeah. think I'll stick t- to mm. Formula One yeah. and then um, Chapman said to me he said would you like to look after Jim Clark's car this year this was 63 right. and I said yeah you know it was just part of the job and uh, mm. of course as you know we won yeah. seven out of ten Grand Prix not bad guy one second one third and and one did not finish. There you go. Yeah. So a bit more reliable than the year before. Uh, a lot more, a lot more reliable than the all year round. Before. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, it, it was it was a massive learning curve in '62 with the 25. Was it? Yeah. Now we, you know, things kept on breaking. Yeah. Uh, a lot of gearbox problems and other bits and pieces. Mm. And the, the, the first time the car was out, as you know, that we had a clutch problem. But that was. And where was that? That that was uh, um, at the Dutch Grand Prix in in '62. Uh, yeah. Uh, we shouldn't have had a problem. It was just when when I think back, it was just oh. lack of mechanical knowledge yeah. on our part mm. which caused that. It's a bit of a shame. Which it was a great shame, exactly. But there <laughs> you go. You learn something new. Well, every that's day. right. There you go. Mm. Absolutely. So, what was it like working with Chapman? If if. Uh, if he liked you, you, you got on reasonably well with him. Um, if you could produce the goods, you got on very well with him. Right. He actually sent me home from a meeting once, and I, I thought I'd been given the sack, but yeah. I hadn't. What happened was that Dick Scammell and I, we were, uh, we were left behind. We were going to Alton Park. Uh, it must have been the Gold Cup at Alton yeah. Park. Mm. And uh, we, we had a Lotus 24 and two 25s, and we had a brand new 25, which we were just going to test right. at the meeting, right? because it was Monza the next weekend. And we didn't have the engine for the 24 until it must have been 7 o'clock 
the night before practice. Right. And we were a long way away. Yeah. So we worked on what we normally, I would say, what we normally used to do, we used to wash all the chassis tubes out, mm-hmm. the oil ones, yeah. with some fairly strong acid to clear all the buck out of it because the oil yeah. and yeah. water ran through the chassis mm-hmm. tubes. And it was getting late, and I said to Dick, well, what should we do? He said, God knows what we're going to do. I said, well, we just wash them out with water and blow them out. So put the engine in, got the car running, mm-hmm. drove all night to arrive at practice at 8 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, yeah. offloaded the car, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, the engine ran its bearings. Oh, I can't believe it. And Chapman said to me, did you wash the tubes out? And I said, no. He said, get out of my bloody sight. Oh, no. Any rate, as it so happened, Trevor Taylor then drove Jimmy Clark's new 25 right. for Monza. Mm-hmm. And the radius on pickups pulled clean out the chassis. Right. Now, you can imagine this on the banking of Monza. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the engine went back to Climax, and Climax had found out that fitted the wrong bearings right. into the engine. So it wasn't my fault at all. At any rate, um, Chapman didn't speak to me for six weeks. Oh. And then I, 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 he said something to me, and I said, what happened at Alton Park was a blessing in disguise. And he said, don't I know it? And from that day on, right. I couldn't do anything wrong. There you go. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Just the way he was. Yeah. Yeah. Driver-wise, who did you work with in those... In those days? Yeah, in those... Formula One, so obviously Jim Clark. Jim Clark, Innes Island, right. uh, Pete oh. Arundel, mm-hmm. and Mike Spence. And what was uh, he? Pedro Rodriguez, he, he drove for us in Mexico. What was he like? Well, he didn't speak, I don't think he spoke English. Oh, really? You know, um, he just had that one race. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, we broke a timing chain in Mexico City, and on his car, mm-hmm. we had three cars. Yeah. And it was all panic. I, I can't remember much about it, but I know we, we did an all-nighter. Yeah. Uh, actually, we actually worked at the circuit, which was most unusual in those days. Right. Pedro Rodriguez's father, I, I don't know what he was involved with, but uh, something a bit uh, devious. Was it? Uh, but he brought <laughs> loads of spotlights and we sort of worked all night. Brilliant. And uh, we yeah. managed to... Prior, prior to, to that, which was also quite interesting, when we were at Watkins Glen, which must have been two weeks before, I think, or a week before. It was 63? 63. We, we also had engine trouble. Mm. I had to set the valve timing of the engine. Mm. And we all worked in this one big shed. And I was battling because cause the figures, I couldn't interpret. All we had was a spec sheet. Right. And I couldn't interpret what the spec sheet said. Mm. And I had a vague idea. In the same big shed, the BRM mechanics were working. Um, and they were watching me for two days, and when they'd finished their work, Willie Southgate was the, en- was the engine bloke, right. he wandered over to me, he said, let me give you a hand, and oh. he set the valve timing up on this climax. That was nice of him. Well, it was like that in those yeah, days. Absolutely. Everybody borrowed from everybody else, and everybody yeah. helped everybody else. It was great fun. Brilliant. In, in the beginning of 64, we went to Syracuse for the Grand Prix. Right. We took two cars, and there were two drivers, obviously, and the small transporter. Uh, I decided to take a new lad who'd started there by the name of Willie Koo because we got on well together. Just as we were about to leave, Chapman ran over. He said, when you get there, tell the organisers that Jim Clark can't come. Right. You know, and by God, what's It's for the Grand Prix. 
No, it, it wasn't. I mean, we, there were a lot of races besides... Of course, yeah, non-championship uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, non-championship race. And, of course, Jim Clark was world champion. Everybody was dying to Absolutely. see him. And he said, also, make sure you bring back the start money with you. It'll be in cash, in lira. Oh, no. Here we go. So we trundled off down to Syracuse. Terribly sorry, Jim Clark's not coming, but Mike Spencer's coming. I, I, I don't know what they said, but they weren't exactly happy no, with us, as no. you can imagine. And it was quite interesting. We were busy balancing wheels because we had to do it ourselves because mm. Dunlops weren't there. Madison Gregory wandered over for a chat. And he was telling us a story that when he was there last year, they were driving the front engine cars. Right. And Phil Hill was in front of him in the Ferrari. Mm. And they're like walls. And he noticed that Phil Hill had knocked one of the spinners on the wall and the wheel was start starting to come loose. Right. So he started to point. So so Phil Hill could see in his mirrors. Anyway, yeah. Phil didn't pay any attention. So he tried to overtake Phil Hill and, and point. point and, tell him. and Phil Hill wouldn't let him pass. Uh -huh. Eventually, Phil Hill, Phil Hill realized what the problem was. And after, after the race... Uh, he said to Phil, he said, I didn't want to pass you. I just wanted to tell you her wheel was falling off. <laughs> any rate, when, when we'd finished there, we um, collected the start money in lira, which right. was a lot of lira. Yeah. And we drove back, the two of us drove nonstop. And, and because of the hills, uh, we went across the ferry to Messina, drove down to the toe of Italy, right. the Adriatic into Switzerland, uh, into France, and, and then across on the ferry. And, and we got within half a mile of the factory and we ran out of petrol. <laughs> but we eventually got back. I mean, how long a drive was that, saying that? And, and That's must, a huge drive. You know, it must have taken us two days or something. Because there's no auto routes Oh, no, it was just all like little roads. B roads. Yeah, B roads, as there were in those days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Um, and because you're on such a high, when by the time I got back, that night I couldn't sleep at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Too wide awake. Too wide awake. Absolutely, yeah. So what about, who was your favourite, not, not who was the best, who was your favourite driver? Um, Trevor. Trevor. Really? Trevor. Oh, he was great fun. Was he a nice guy? Oh, we, we used to have a social scene that was beyond belief. He didn't sort of mix, mix with Jimmy and Colin Chapman a lot. Mm. And he used to spend most of his time with us. Uh, him, Bruce McLaren, we used to spend a lot of time with. Right, yeah. He was great fun. Mm -hmm. um, Tony Maggs, of course, um, and one of the other mechanics, uh, Derek Wilde, right. and myself. Mm -hmm. or, um, actually, most of our spare time we used to spend with, spend with the Maggs and the McLarens. Right. Uh, because that was a great, you know, yeah. it was good fun, as I said. Mm -hmm. Tony Maggs' wife was always up to something and... So, so it was good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And and, there, and there's a story which which, uh, which is actually incredible that uh, when, when we were at um, Sunfoot in '63, we were going to a do afterwards, and mm -hmm. we didn't have a clean shirt. And Patty McLaren washed our shirts for us. God. I mean, she worked. I mean, her husband drove for for another oh, team. Exactly. And um, and she, she cleaned your shirts. And for Bruce you. said, "What are you doing it for?" She said, "Well, we haven't got clean shirt. I haven't got clean shirt. What do you expect me to do?" <laughs> God, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Now, so you finished at Lotus in '64. Yes. At the end of the year. No, as as I said earlier on, at the British Grand Prix. Right. 
Can I ask you why? Well, yeah, I, I, I was um, in the throes of getting married and everything else, and uh, they didn't seem to be that challenge anymore. I mean, I, I, you know, we would actually won a world championship, and yeah. I, I needed another goal, and I, I wouldn't say I lost interest, but but I I lost probably about five percent of my dedication. Did you? Yeah, because I, I wanted something else to right. Yeah, aim at something different. Mm. And uh, as I said, I, I was in the throes of getting married, so I decided I yeah, actually had busy. enough. Yeah. So what did you go off and do after that? Well, actually, I still got involved in motor racing. I was vo- involved with Ian Walker, right, for a while. And also uh, building cars, or we were building a lands, mm. yeah, special special lands. That was special equipment to lands, right. And then I drifted out of motor racing, and then uh, I worked for Ulf Norinder for a year in the T seventies, yeah. which was good fun mm. and Formula Five. The nice cars, yeah, T seventies. Co- oh, incredible cars! Great looking car. And then I built my own sports car. There was an. FF1. This was still over here. Yes, in England. Yeah, there, there was a, a series based around uh, Firestone tires, FF one hundred tires. The mm. series was called FF one hundred. You had to have an engine, uh, engine out of a production car under thirteen hundred cc. Right. And I designed and built my own car. Right. Won quite a few races. Came second in the championship the first year. When was that? That must have been, God, either sixty nine or seventy. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I lost a lot of money doing it, of course. Yeah. And I said I never want to see a racing car as long as I live. Yeah. So I, I didn't get involved. I, de- uh, I, I didn't even pick up a motoring magazine, motor racing magazine. And then a friend of mine phoned me up um, and he said, I've just got my helicopter license. Would you like to go to the Grand Prix in 19... 19- this was 1980. All oh, right. So I said, yeah, you know, if you pick me up somewhere. I never expected him to turn up, but he did. We went to the British Grand Prix. <laughs> and I thought, I can actually handle handle it without being addicted to it because yeah. I was addicted before, before. Mm. and then in 1982 uh, um, I bought a Lotus 23 which I restored and we raced that quite successfully right who was driving it uh, Chris Alford right mm. uh, still around yeah. he's still yeah he's, he's still he's, he's actually raced a 25 quite a few times yeah. in fact mm. he raced a car in South Africa recently mm. and then when I was after that um, I got the 24 mm. then I bought an engine in America, a V8 engine in America, and I, and I had some of the remains of 25R5, which was crashed by Trevor Taylor at Spa, which was just thrown out the scrap. In 63? Six, 63. Yes. He, he had a Marshall's post, if you remember. Yeah. yeah. And um, So where had that car been, or the remains of it been all that time? I what had some know? of the remains. Right. The, the, the rest was just pure scrap. But, but I had some, some pieces. I just kept it as souvenirs. Yeah. Mm. Um, I had some suspension bits. Um, I had probably one third of the monocoque. Right. So, so when I found an engine in America... Um, and when would that have been? This must have been 1986, I think. Right. I put it together. You know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't have any drawings... Um, I couldn't get any drawings, so was it I, all from memory. I had to draw. I spent a year drawing cool. what I did from memory, and then tried to see if it would actually fit. And you know, in photographs, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've uh, you know, I eventually got it right. Right. 
when when we rebuilt the monocoque and uh, I sat there for the first time I said there's something wrong we've made a mistake somewhere it just fell too short from what I remembered right what I did have is that Lotus Team Lotus did actually re- release um, uh, Chapman's first GA which is a general assembly right which was just like a sketch mm-hmm. and I went I tried to scale it up get through all the measurements and I went over and over and over again and it took me looking at these drawings two days to realise where the mistake was we, we'd actually made the monocoque the actual seat part of the mon- the, the yeah. cockpit of the monocoque yeah. an inch too short and the engine bay an inch too long oh I see so we had to so the right the total, total and the wheelbase was right, but uh, <laughs> so we had to unrivet all this oh. and start again yeah. and get it right. And when did you finish it then? Uh, it, it took us a couple of years. Uh, did it? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Uh, it, it, it was it was good fun doing it. Yeah, um, it was great, and people love seeing it. Oh yeah, and I, I it's a proper enjoy- job. Oh yeah. I enjoy having it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how many of those are around? Do we know? Um, the 25. How many were made initially anyway? Oh, you know, in total. I'll have to look in the book. I suppose, right. I suppose seven or eight. Right, seven. yeah. Are, uh, they, are and, they still and around? There or? 33. The only other 20... Yeah, there are two 25s around. One's in the Donington Museum. Yes, seen that one. And the other one belonged to Dawson Damer, but I imagine still belongs to his family. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Rob's Lamplow's got a 33, and I think yes. there's, mm-hmm. there's a 33 in Switzerland, or a 25 in Switzerland, which is in private hands, which no one will ever see. Really? And there's a 33 in the Schlump Museum. Oh, that's right. And then there's an, another one in, in a museum here, in, in, a, in another museum in England. Right, yeah. None of those are runners? No. Not even the Donington one? No, that doesn't run. I mean, it can't run. When I had a good look at it, you'd have to start again to make it into really? a Really? Yeah. It's just... Oh. I mean, nothing actually fits properly. No. Um, you'd actually have to take the monocoque apart to, to start make it work. To make it, yeah, yeah. So I must ask you, what was Jim Clark like to work with? Um, he, he, was, he was a very shy person. Uh, he, he never quite got the hang of... He couldn't understand why people made such a fuss of him because he didn't, you know, he just thought he was not doing, he, he wasn't doing anything so really exciting. So out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and as a passenger car, he was very, very nervous. Or even at like 50 or 60 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, when we were at Rouen, I think it was either 62 or 60, I can't remember. Trevor was uh, driving the car, Jimmy was sitting next to him and I was sitting in the back and he was biting his fingernails. Because he didn't like. Because it was just... Uh, Do you think it was just because he didn't? He wasn't in control sort of thing? Or it just, was just the nature of the Yeah, piece, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so what was your last race? Uh, it was the, the British Grand Prix in 64. Which Jim Clark won. He, he had a... Uh, the first part, he and Graham Hill were nose to tail practically all the way right but um, during practice Chapman got Jackie Stewart to have a run in the spare car right and Jackie was at BRM at that point no no he was driving Formula Junior right 
I mean, I'd, I'd heard of him, but he was, yeah, that was, you know, yeah, you know, like an up and coming yeah, star. But he, he had no, yeah, oh, you know, he was just an, an, another driver, as far as I was concerned, right. at the time. So he got in the car, and he did a few laps, came back, and he said to me, he said, "I'm terribly sorry." He said, "You know, I've knocked every corner of this car." He said, "I cannot get to drips with a car having so little power." And he said, I'm terribly sorry, you know, I'm terribly sorry. And for years afterwards, he was apologising to me for, the, for this car. Of course, it was history. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that, that, that was my one song. I, right. I left Lotus and yeah. uh, great days, greatest days of my life. Good. Um, I, I was very lucky, in fact, to be part of it. Uh, we didn't get paid much money. I was earning, I started off with... Twelve pound fifty a week, ending up with seventeen fifty a week. <laughs> um, we got ten percent of the prize money, right? But what it was that it was divided up between the indie team and us, and the indie team's prize money was also all divided oh, right. up. Yeah. Um, and Chapman said to us, he said, if we won the world championship sixty three, he would buy us all a mini. A mini. Yeah, the whole team, including the indie team. Okay. And Ford's heard about this, and they went stark, raving mad. And they said, no, you don't. And we each got a brand-new Cortina GT for a present. Even better. Yeah. That was uh, nice. I, I don't know where they are now, but uh, I, kept, I so, kept mine for uh, six weeks and sold it. How many, I mean, saying that, how many must have you bought? A dozen? Or were given? No, I... I, I not I, even as many as that? Not, uh, probably about eight or nine. Uh, that's about how many there were on the team. Exactly. But but at the time, I, I, had, an, I had an Alfamo Julieta TI. Right. And we went, it was a rare thing to go testing with Lotus because we never had the time or the mm-hmm. money or mm-hmm. anything. And we went up to um, Silverstone to go testing with a Formula One car. Right. And one of the Lotus Cortinas. I lived in northwest London and... Things like that, I should just drive up there, not yeah. go to Cheshunt and then go back up. Just go know, straight to the yeah. circuit moan car. And they were trying to sort the Cortina out, and uh, and they had problems with it. In fact, that there was there are stories about Chapman sitting at the back of the Cortina to yes. try and actually weigh it down. Yeah. And he was, and he said to Tim Clark, "I can't understand what angles are you driving because it doesn't seem right." And um, I don't know if you've ever read Mark Donahue's book, have you? No. He's, he's done something about called the friction circle. Yeah. And that's what Jimmy was doing without thinking. Right. Um, it's 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 quite complicated, but it's, it was just so natural to him because yeah. he wasn't taking the normal lines. Mm-hmm. Chapman came over to me and said, do you think I have to drive in your Alpha? I said, yeah, you can have a drive around on it. And he went driving. He came back. He said, you know what? That's the worst car I've ever driven in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but but I didn't think car. so. That it was a bad car. car. No. I mean, the rear suspension didn't fall apart, and it just kept on going. Yeah. And it was well engineered. <laughs> yeah, he said it like was it. terrible. <laughs> but there you go.